Hello and welcome to episode number 73 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about risk. Now, not the board game, although that would have probably been a whole lot more fun because that is one hell of a game. We're going to be talking about risk in sports, risk in entertainment, risk when you make a choice and maybe it's going to backfire on you. There were a couple things going on, and that seemed to be a good way to tie these things in. The first is this year's Daytona 500, which started before we did our last podcast, but ended after we did our last podcast due to a rain delay. A lot of cool things going on with Donald Trump going to the track, being the Grand Marshal, and then taking the beast out on the track. I thought that was all pretty cool. I haven't really been watching NASCAR for a while. I mentioned in the past, I believe, that I used to watch NASCAR, and I was a regular follower of the sport up until 2004 when Ozzie Guillen came back to manage the White Sox. So Sundays, you had that overlap. It was either going to be racing or baseball. And I chose baseball in 2004. And for various reasons, we've dumped them. But for years before 2004, we were dedicated NASCAR fans watching multiple series and following the sport pretty damn closely. But like Major League Baseball, the rule changes that they've brought to the sport in hopes, I'm guessing, of bringing new people to the sport have done the exact opposite and have alienated a whole lot of people, which is being seen by the fact that attendance is down. I was kind of shocked to read an article that Daytona Speedway used to hold, I think it was 159,000 people, which is a pretty decent sized crowd for any kind of sporting event. And now the venue holds about 100,000 because they weren't selling the seats. And though you have to keep these things up, there's maintenance and all that. So uh, the lack of a crowd has made for removal of seats, smaller venues, and that's never a good sign for any sport when you're taking the seats out of the arenas because you can't fill them. That's a bad thing. But I was intrigued by Donald Trump going, I wanted to see the beast out there. So I tried following this year's Daytona 500 and nature got him first. Nature got him first on Sunday, which led to a majority of the race being run on Monday. And I was kind of intrigued by the fact that usually back way back when, when I was watching these NASCAR things, when there was a rain delay where they had to go to the next day, usually they started early, got the thing in. That wasn't the case here. They started at like three or four in the afternoon. So they were kind of pushing this in a weird way. And Daytona being Daytona, these super speedways, there's only a couple of them out there. There's Daytona, there's Talladega, and the speeds of these cars hit, it, I mean, that's dangerous anywhere you go when you're driving a race car. But the speeds that get hit on a super speedway are among the top speeds. And when it comes to NASCAR, their biggest problem is when you try to limit the cars, the speeds that they can go. The packages they put on them to you know, make these things less aerodynamic to punch a bigger hole in leads to drafting, which leads to a lot of cars being very close to each other, which leads to the big one. The wrecks that take out in these super speedways, multiple cars at one time, and they've been talking about the big one for decades, 
And in this year's Daytona 500, the end came with a big one and one that sent some shockwaves, I think, through the racing world and even the casual fan. Because this was me again. I haven't been following this for a long time. But I was watching the Daytona 500, had it on one of my three computer monitors while I was doing other stuff on Monday, because NASCAR, as fast of a sport that it is, has made some really bizarre rule changes, breaking these longer races into segments, and then you know bringing people down pit road, and it really elongates the whole concept. And I know they're trying to add excitement, like, hey, if you win segment one and segment two, you get points. Well. When you're doing this kind of stuff to artificially add excitement, I don't know. I have the exact opposite reaction to it. Maybe you like it, and maybe some NASCAR fans do. And feel free to reach out and let me know where I'm wrong if I'm missing something here. But one of the dumbest things that NASCAR does on the super speedways they've been doing as long as I can remember, going back to before 2004 when I was watching NASCAR, they came up with this concept somewhere around there, to have a green-white checker finish, which means if there's a caution at the end of the race, if they haven't taken the white flag, then they will throw a caution. And even if you go beyond, I mean, it's a 500-mile race, even if you hit that 500th mile with the green-white checker, that means, well, you could go longer than 500 miles because they want to get basically two laps clean to finish the race. And it may seem if you're not uh, following NASCAR a whole lot, the two laps is a long way to go. For these guys on a super speedway, not so much. And what it leads to is wrecks, which then bunch everybody up for a restart. And the race is only two laps to go. So wrecks happen again and again and again. And this year, Ryan Newman, a guy that's been around long enough that I know who he is. I mean, I look at the field of the Daytona 500 and beyond a few guys. They were names that I wasn't familiar with, but Ryan Newman's a guy that's been around, was racing for the win of the Daytona 500, and you've probably seen it. It was a violent crash, which sent his car head-on into the outside retaining wall, which sent the car up into the air, flipped it over, and while he was suspended upside down, was hit on the driver's side of the car which then sent the car careening down the track, ending on its roof, on fire, in a crumpled mess, which is something you don't usually see with these NASCAR race cars. The roll cages are pretty strong, and if you see something crumpled in, in that driver's side, that's never a good sign. So when the car skidded to a halt at the end of the Daytona 500, it was the first time that I can remember seeing a wreck in a race where my heart just sunk and that I thought something was going to be horribly, horribly wrong. And this played out for two hours. The long story short, if you haven't seen the news, Ryan Newman is out of the hospital being treated simply, and I say simply as it means nothing, but it does, uh, simply for a head injury. No broken bones, wasn't mangled up, but I'm assuming a concussion and probably one doozy of a concussion, but we'll find out more, I'm sure, as Ryan continues to talk about the situation. But for two hours at the end 
of the Daytona 500, I was on Twitter while I was listening to the Hog Story podcast, only half listening because I was concerned. I mean, I thought I just saw a guy die. And while I know NASCAR is a sport that's built upon, hey, these guys are brave. I mean, President Trump said that when they interviewed him before the race, how much bravery it takes to hop in one of those cars and do what these guys do, even with the safety improvements that have come out since Dale Earnhardt passed away in 2001 at the Daytona 500. Now, if you were watching that race, the Dale Earnhardt race, it looked like nothing. I mean, it looked like a very minor impact that he took, but the safety measures weren't what they are today. And with that said, the Ryan Newman crash looked like you didn't think anybody would be able to walk away from it. And a lot of NASCAR fans thought that because on Twitter through that, there was nothing for two hours, but people refreshing, looking for news because normally when somebody's helped out of the car, usually they just go to the care center uh, at the track, but all of that is covered. You can see them. The cameras are all over these tracks and you can see them get out of the car. Well, in Ryan Newman's case, they brought the black screens out and they put them around the car and they asked the media to leave the general area. So this didn't seem good. And for two hours, there was no update on Ryan Newman's condition. And NASCAR fans overall, including myself, were fearing the worst. Now, I know NASCAR sells the fact that these speeds are dangerous, and that's part of what makes it exciting. And I agree with that. But this was really a worst case scenario for them. Again, trying this green white checker multiple times and also having wrecks happening during the lap before the Ryan Newman wreck. But of course, they happened behind the front running cars. They wanted them to finish under green. But the bottom line here is it was NASCAR's rule changes to try to give fans an exciting finish that could have had some very, very negative results for the safety of the race car drivers involved. and. I walked away from the experience not being excited about racing. It was the exact opposite. It was beyond just disgust for what had gone down, the fear that somebody had lost their life out there providing entertainment for the rest of us that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the idiotic rule changes that one kept these cars so close together on a super speedway, and two, kept them so close together by demanding that the races finish under a green flag. I mean, it's a 500-mile race. You don't necessarily, I mean, I know it's a little bit more exciting, but you kind of know who the best cars are unless you're just rolling the dice and trying to look for a random number or something. And that was a comment that Kurt Busch, a guy that's been around for a long time as well, was involved in one of the earlier crashes, and he came out of the infield care center. And of course, the NASCAR coverage, like they do, put a microphone in his face, and they've got their monitor there because they always want the drivers to comment on what had taken them off the racetrack, what happened in the wreck. Usually they want them to you know, blame the guy behind them who ran into him so they can generate a little controversy. But they brought the monitor out, obviously, and uh, Kurt Busch's comment told me all I needed to know. He was like, I don't need to see that. You know, this is all, we're all just in a 
balls in a roulette wheel or something was the comment that he made. And I'm like, you know, that's pretty sad when the competitors know that, yeah, you really have no control over what's going to happen to you when you go out here with their lives on the line at breakneck speeds, all because the sanctioning body has made some really stupid rules. So I'm happy that Ryan Newman was able to walk out of the hospital a couple of days after this wreck and be with his kids. At 42 years old, a lot of people were giving him the business on the social medias that it was time to hang it up. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, these guys, they know the risk. It's their own free will. 42, I mean, seems ancient in racing, and it seems a little less ancient to me because I'm about to hit 50. But, you know, you're driving a car. Your reaction times, if they're still good at 42 and you have good vision and all that, I don't see there's any reason why he can't continue racing if that's something that he loves to do. But I'm guessing we may hear from Ryan Newman that his priorities have changed a little bit because this was a case that I think he really cheated death. A lot of NASCAR fans think he cheated death. And NASCAR's got a problem moving forward to try to make the sport exciting without making it something that leaves people with a very negative vibe. Nobody, after watching that race, was excited about the Daytona 500, including Denny Hamlin, the guy that won the race. And he took a lot of crap for initially celebrating doing some donuts in the infield. And he's like, hey, I didn't know. I didn't know the severity of the wreck. People wreck at Daytona all the time. I mean, there were multiple wrecks throughout that day. And then some people blamed his spotter, the guy that stands on top of the building that should have given him the information of the spotter was like, you know what? I didn't even think about talking to my driver who had just won the Daytona 500. I didn't care. This shows you how serious even these guys that are at the track every race thought about what they thought about this wreck of ryan newman because the sponsor of the guy that just won wasn't interested in celebrating he was running down to talk to the spotter of ryan newman to be like hey is he okay because it was that horrific of a crash and there's a certain amount of these crashes that you go hey that was cool this wasn't one of them i mean there were some of the crashes you know once the guys get out of the car i guess maybe that makes it a hell of a lot easier but i didn't even want to watch the replay of the wreck once you saw he wasn't getting out of the car and uh, i don't know it didn't help my excitement level for nascar and i'm looking for a new sport i really am i'm looking for a new sport because major league baseball is continuing to crap the bed and i don't know how bad this is going to get but it seems like they're doubling down on just about every bad thing going on so i don't have a lot of faith in mlb And we can talk about the lawsuits that are going on with Major League Baseball right now. But maybe the sport I want to look at is the NHL. There's always something interesting going on in the NHL. We talked a few episodes back about Gritty, the mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's exciting. He's fun. He's cool. The latest story was a 42-year-old Zamboni driver was called into action at an NHL game the other day and got the win. And I just thought that was that was a fantastic story that you really don't see in any other major league sport because of the way everything works. But it takes a very rare case for the backup goalie to get called into action. If you don't follow the NHL at all, usually the way this goes is 
the teams that are coming in usually have two goalies. I mean, that's what you have in the NHL. So if your main goalie gets hurt, you got your backup goalie. Boom, you're fine. Well, if your main goalie gets hurt and your backup goalie gets hurt, what do you do? Well, usually it is the home team which provides an alternate that either team can use if necessary. And that is exactly what happened in Toronto the other day. The Toronto Maple Leafs were playing the Carolina Hurricanes. The injuries happened to the goalie, the backup 42-year-old David Ayers, the Zamboni driver, got the call. And of course, they talked to him after the game, and he was quite excited, one, to get the win, which is pretty damn cool. But he said he was a little bit nervous out there. And the players calmed him down. He said somebody came up and said, hey, I don't care if you let uh, 10 goals in, just go out there and have fun. And that's what he did. So, I mean, this is something, I mean, really, where else could you get that in a major sport where somebody could just pop in and have themselves one hell of a game and compete? It's not going to happen in baseball, basketball, certainly not auto racing. Uh, so NHL, it's something unique going on there, maybe. And uh, so far, they're the sport that seems maybe the least likely to have a major controversy. But hey, maybe I just jinxed him on that, and I hope not. But Major League Baseball, with spring training starting and the Astros coming out and giving a little bit less than a meaningful apology to the baseball world, to the fans, there are some lawsuits going on. And it's interesting because one of the things that I never even gave a whole lot of thought to being that I'm not big into gambling on sports, is the fact that baseball has aligned themselves with gambling through DraftKings. And of course, this goes on in Vegas and other places where sports wagering is legal. But MLB, with a partnership in DraftKings, which is a fantasy baseball type system mixed with gambling, which involves real money. So people losing real money if things don't go their way. I never really thought about this aspect of things. I mean, sure, it sucks for the sport when a team like the Astros admits to the massive cheating scandal that they've admitted to. But when you take into account that people were wagering legally money on these games with a company that is in partnership with MLB. It really starts bringing some new questions to light because people lost money because of the fact that these Houston Astros players cheated. I mean, of course, the Red Sox are involved in this as well, that there's an investigation going on. And we know that other teams are doing this. We talked about that in the previous episode that Jack McDowell even came out. So the White Sox are doing this in the 1980s. So I don't think any team is necessarily clean. When it comes to a sign stealing controversy, but when it comes to people that are gambling on the sport, well, should they be expecting the product on the field to be fair? And if Major League Baseball isn't doing everything that they possibly can to deliver games that are being played within the rules, then Maybe these gamblers have a point. Maybe they should get some money from Major League Baseball to cover the losses. The other interesting one, as far as a lawsuit went, were season ticket holders for the Astros 
who are also claiming that they've been hurt because of the fact they were seeing games that were fixed. I mean, even though it's your team winning, technically, yeah, the games are fixed. And they're also claiming that due to the fact that the Astros were a good team, helped, of course, by their sign stealing, they were able to raise ticket prices, which meant the fans were also being hurt when it came down to that aspect of the cheating scandal. So it's an interesting thing to watch and where this is all going to come out. It's yet to be seen. There's going to probably be lawsuits dragging on for years. But I had to laugh at Major League Baseball's reasoning on why these lawsuits should just be dismissed outright, saying that the plaintiffs knew as early as September of 2017 that sign stealing was occurring because baseball commissioner Rob Manfred fined the Boston Red Sox for using an Apple Watch to capture signs from the New York Yankees. So basically, baseball's legal defense on all of this is, well, we slapped somebody on the wrist for something involving cheating and sign stealing back in 2017. So if you were betting on any game or if you were expecting any game being played on any major league baseball field in the time since, and you expected it to be fair and you expected the teams to be following the rules that we set out, well, then you're a moron. Really, baseball? Is that the hill you want to die on? Which is, well, everybody knew it was going on. Well, then which is it? Everybody knew it was going on. The Houston Astros players have been given complete clemency. I mean, they're not even being punished for this. The great Henry Hank Aaron said he would have given lifetime bans to everybody on the Astros. And I think Henry Hank Aaron is right. If baseball really wanted to send a message, this would be the way to do it. Suspend every player on the team. Lifetime ban like Pete Rose. They never get back in. And then every player going forward maybe thinks twice about cheating. What you have with the way they've currently handled it, which is your manager and general manager gets fired. I mean, I have to ask you, everybody out there who has a job where you work for somebody else, if your boss or his boss gets fired, do you really care? I mean, maybe you like the guy, maybe you don't. But as long as you still have your job and it's a really well-paying job, like a major league baseball player's job is, do you really care if your boss or his boss gets fired or suspended for like a year and then they'll be back or that the team is fined $5 million, which is a kick in the bucket for major league baseball teams. Is this really sending a message that you want the cheating to stop? I mean, we know sign stealing has been going on forever. We know that electronic stealing of signs has been going on since at least the 1980s, probably before with regularity and nothing's ever been done up until this point. And by not taking any actions to go after the players in this scandal, Major League Baseball is saying they don't really expect the games to be played fairly, but they want you to think they're doing everything they can to take your concerns seriously. So please don't sue us. I don't know. This is really that slope that it started a long time ago with MLB. For me, they keep going down 
faster and faster and faster. And I'm finding less and less to enjoy. Of course, like everything else, say Major League Baseball did decide that we're going to take down the 2017 Houston Astros and we're going to suspend everybody on that team for life. You know what's going to happen is all of those players are going to turn on every other player on every other team because this stuff I'm sure is going on everywhere. These guys were the ones that got caught. They were the ones that flaunted it, but the underlying problem exists in the whole sport, I believe. Because really, what would be the worst case scenario, even if you suspended or banned the players of a whole team, they would recover. I mean, the Astros five years or six years ago were basically a minor league team anyway. The sport would continue on if they suspended or banned a whole team. But I really do believe the bodies are buried and the players all know about it. And suspending a whole team, banning a whole team would lead to even bigger problems for Major League Baseball. So maybe, Commissioner, again, I'm going to suggest that you take yourself and subtract yourself from the equation and then move forward with somebody that actually can do something to keep the sport with some semblance of integrity. I know it's hard, but. The fans that are left want the sport to be played fairly. They don't want to think they're going to these games that have constant cheating going on. It's your job, Commissioner Manfred, to oversee this, and you're not doing it well. And just give give the job to somebody else. Give the job to somebody like Henry Hank Aaron, who knows what to do to clean your mess up. Like the drivers in NASCAR understand that there are risks to getting in the car for doing what they do, I would like Major League Baseball players to understand that there are risks involved in their job, that if they're caught cheating, that there will actually be repercussions. Because if there's no risk of that, the cheating's going to continue. And one last story before we go, and this involves the comic book industry, which entertainment and sports, they're not really all that separated. DC Comics, which is now owned by AT&T, is talking about possibly shutting down due to lack of sales. And there's a few reasons for this, and it's not just DC Comics when it comes to the comic book industry. Sales have been down. And a lot of comic book shops have been going out of business. We still have one locally here. Well, a couple. And they still seem to be doing pretty good. They do some stuff with gaming. They do game nights. They sell some other merchandise like the Funko Pops and all of that. But overall, the comic book industry has been on a downward turn. And a lot of it comes down to the go woke, go broke sentiment. Now, I'm not saying that comic books weren't going to be losing market share no matter what, but it certainly didn't help, especially with the DC comics when they decided they were going to start re-pushing all of these characters down the pipeline by changing their sex, changing their ethnicity, changing things to try to be more inclusive. We talked about this with Doctor Who. I mean, I don't mind a female time traveler character I just don't like that you're taking a male character and just because you can making them into a female character, nor do I enjoy being preached to in my entertainment. And that is what DC Comics has been doing for about a decade. 
They've been pushing a progressive agenda. And guess what? People aren't buying it anymore. And that's a good sign for me. I mean, I feel bad for people that work at D.C. I mean, although maybe I don't. If you're pushing this agenda on people, you kind of get what you deserve because somehow we've lost the concept that you should just write the best damn story you can. And instead, you figure, well, we'll be able to push an agenda. And we see it in movies. We see it in TV. You're seeing it in comic books because I guess this is the thing to do. I don't quite understand it. And it's something that's quickly turned me off on a lot of this media, whether it be, again, television, whether it be music, whether it be whatever. I don't want to be preached to. And I think AT&T is really taking DC Comics down the wrong path because they're going with another reboot. Now, get this. They're calling the new reboot 5G. I mean, if that isn't really taking something and putting it on the road to failure, I don't know what is. But they're taking a bunch of these stories and they're rebooting these characters once again. They've tried it before recently in the new 52 by rebooting a bunch of this stuff. But one of the things that I was most intrigued by when getting a little bit into comic books again a few years ago was the fact of the pricing of the comics. Individual books would normally in that $3.99 to $4.99 range. And I know that's not a huge amount. Some people will spend that daily on a cup of coffee, but comic books don't take a whole lot of time to read. You can pick up a comic book. You could probably read it there in a shop if you walk in in about 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. It depends how closely I guess you're looking at the artwork and all of that, but it's not something that is going to give you hours and hours and hours of enjoyment. So I always thought that was a little bit high already. $3.99 to $4.99 for the new comics. And one of the quotes I found when reading stories about the comic book industry recently was that there was a guy named Phil Boyle of Coliseum of Comics, a comic book shop, who spoke firsthand about the problems going on in the industry. And he talked about just how many of these books that go to a zero value nearly immediately when they're being archived, which means, okay, the book just came out today. Within a month, they're being archived. They're not new anymore. And he was estimating that about a 90% of the stock that comes in will be zeroed out once it's archived. And I can see that in our local comic book shops, because once a month, they have a quarter comic book sale where they're just trying to get anything that they can for a lot of these books that haven't been sold. So there's not a lot of money. These things aren't collectibles anymore. It's a very rare comic book that's going up in value. Sure, it happens. Like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first release of that, just on Pawn Stars the other night, was worth upwards of $10,000. What was only a run of $3,000 in comparison were most of these. Like DC, I mean, a first run is probably $100,000 plus. So it's rare to find anything that's going to be worth money, yet they want to charge $3.99 to $4.99, which I thought was a lot. The DC reboot, their 5G reboot, they were talking about prices on the individual comics going up to $7.99 a book. And I just had to laugh at that one. I mean, DC Comics, it's been nice, but AT&T is obviously going to drive you right into the ground thanks to your woke programming choices and your ever-raising 
costs. Uh, not a good idea. They had some risk. They'd made the wrong choices. And rightfully so, they're probably going to go down and disappear. The once great DC comics will be no more. Well, that's what happens when you give people something they don't want at highly inflated prices. They should learn something from the value for value model, which is what we use here on the Random Thoughts podcast. If you like what we're doing, we ask that you go to randomthoughts.com, R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com and click that donate button. You can do one time. You can do monthly. You can do whatever you want. Send us a little value back for what we're giving you here with these episodes. If you think it's worth a buck, that's great. If you think it's worth five bucks, that's great. If you think it's worth a million dollars, hey, feel free. I'll take it. I do have an executive producer for today's show, a new name to add to the roles of subscribers and donators to the No Agenda podcast, and that is Pierre Stith, who sent in a little note saying it's not much, but I wanted to give you a small token of my appreciation for your podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Pierre. I appreciate it. I really do. And a lot of people say these kind of things like, oh, I know this isn't much. Any amount that you're giving to some idiot like me who's just putting a podcast out there, it's a big deal. The fact that people take the time to listen is a big deal. And anybody that sends any amount in, no matter how big, how small, we don't take that for granted. And it at least tells me that I'm doing something right and hopefully putting out shows that people are enjoying. So I really, really, really appreciate it. Cannot emphasize that enough. The support from everybody listening in so many different ways has just been amazing over this little experience that we've been doing here now on episode number 73 of Random Thoughts. If you haven't subscribed yet, do me a favor and go to randomthoughts.com and click one of those subscribe buttons can do it on Apple, can do it on Android, can get the episodes via email so you never miss an episode. And tell a friend or three or 12 and turn them on to the show. That is always greatly appreciated as well. So until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.